I want to thank you so much for spending part of your Sunday with us today. If you're in our video teaching service today, welcome. Thanks for being with us. I look forward to being back in your service next week. If you happen to be one of the people streaming live today, you were out for the 4th of July, but you're in church with us from someplace that's probably better than sitting in an auditorium today, welcome. Thanks for being with us. We're in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 11 is where we are going to be in our Bible study time today. You can pull your notes out of your bulletins. You can follow along and take notes if you'd like to follow along on your technology. You can open up your Journey Church International app uh, on your device and you can kind of save everything that's on the screen will be in your handheld device. You can send it to a file at the end of the message, save it, pull it up at work, email it, forward it to friends that you want to share today's message with. Just make sure you follow along in a manner that will help you receive and remember as much as possible. We're in a series called The Parables of Jesus and we're at the halfway point. We are halfway through this series listening to Jesus tell stories that are pretty easy to remember that hold some spiritual truth that is pretty impactful if we understand it. We've learned about the mustard seed and seen how small faith begins, but how impactful it can end. We've learned about the wheat and the weeds. We've learned to water wheat to protect against weeds. We've looked at the parable of the soils, and we've been able to not only see what the condition of our heart is, but why our heart is the way that it is. We've looked at the parable of the 10 virgins and we've learned how to stay ready and help other people get ready spiritually. Last week, we were in the parable of the rich fool. We saw how to be generous towards God. What are parables? I remind you every week, the word parable is a Greek word that is actually two words, parabolo. It means to throw or to lay or to place alongside of for the purpose of comparison. A parable is a story about one thing that helps describe something else that may be difficult to describe without some sort of comparison. And Jesus taught in parables because parables were earthly stories that were revealed to have this deep spiritual meaning for those who would seek out the deeper meanings of it. Parables taught the hearts. A lot of time, the Torah teaching of the day, the just straight Bible teaching 2,000 years ago would target the head. Jesus' parables taught the heart because he said it's with your heart that you really hear. He used the phrase often, if you have ears, I hope you can hear, but he wasn't talking about the things on the side of your head. He was talking about a heart that was open to learn. This week, we are in a parable of the persistent friend. Really, we're looking at two parables in one, the parable of the persistent friend. We're also looking at the parable of a good dad because we're trying to learn how to pray. And anytime we open God's word and we read it, I believe anytime the word of God is studied by the people of God, the spirit of God can kind of plant seeds in our heart that grow fruit, that bring transformation. So we always pray that at our church before we dig in. So if you're here with me today or online or at our video teaching service, would you bow your heads quickly? Would you just take a deep breath and clear all of the clutter in your heart and your mind that may be there from last week or thinking about the week that's coming up? Would you clear all that away? And would you today ask God, in the next 25 minutes or so to speak to your heart. Would you ask God to show you how an annoying friend and a good dad can teach you how to pray? Ask God to show you how an annoying friend and a good dad can teach you how to pray. God, that's our prayer today as we study this parable of Jesus, as we look at a persistent friend, as we look at a good dad, Teach us how to approach you in prayer so that we might lay the bricks of a firm foundation of Jesus in our life. We love you. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. Luke chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1, go through verse 13. Keep your Bibles open. We'll come back to them. If you have a pen, we'll mark as we go. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, he will give a shortened version of the Lord's prayer here that we find in much greater detail, Matthew chapter six. It should sound familiar. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then... Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have any food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Two goals in today's message that I hope you walk out of here with and kind of just think about all day long and maybe all week long. They'll just come to your mind. Goal number one is this, to learn why we should pray. Jesus is going to help us understand today scenarios and situations where we should pray. So I want to help you understand today why you should pray. And then lesson number two or goal number two, learn, learn how we should pray. Notice I didn't say the words what. I'm not going to teach you a prayer to repeat over and over and over every day for the rest of your life, but I want to teach you why you should pray, what situations in life should cause you to pray, and then how you should pray. What should be your attitude as you go to God in prayer? And then there's a bonus goal as we've had several weeks of this series, and here's the bonus goal. I want to invite you to pray with us. Because today's message is going to kick off what we hope will become a much deeper part of the culture of Journey Church International, and that is that we would become a church of prayer. We are kicking off on August 19th what we are calling 21 Days of Prayer. And every morning, starting Monday, August 19th through Sunday, September 8th, our church will be open from 6 to 7 a.m. for prayer. A little bit of worship, a little devotional, and a little bit of prayer. As we get ready to head back to school, as we get ready to head into one of the most important seasons in the history of our church in terms of discipleship, as, as a church internally going deeper, and as we get ready in our church to exterior go into one of the greatest seasons of impact we could ever have, as we get ready to approach building a new building to hold our congregation together in fewer services than the five we've been doing the last 15 or 16 weeks, we know it's important to pray. So every morning for 21 days, 6 to 7 a.m., Monday through Friday, 9 to 10 a.m. on Saturday. On Sunday, we'll do it during our service times. We'll take time out to pray. We want to invite you to pray with us. Some of you are going to come all 21 days. Some of you pick your day of the week and say on that day, in that period of time, that three-week period of time where we go back to school, I'm going to go pray and I'm going to learn how to talk to God and ask him to help me with some important things in my life. I'm really excited 
to launch his 21 days of prayer in August. I hope you'll come and pray with us. That would be a bonus goal at the end of today's message. If we get you here, uh, that would be a win for our church. At the very least, we want you today to learn why you should pray and how you should pray. We're going to do that by looking deeper into these two stories, these two par- parables, and we're going to ask every question. We've asked them, uh, we're we're going to ask two questions that we've asked every week for the last six weeks. What's this parable? What are these parables? What's the point? What's the parable? What's the point? Let's dig into question number one. What is this parable? How's it going to teach us why we should pray and how we should pray? Today's parable lays out two things side by side. That's what a parable does to compare them to each other. Here's what Jesus says will teach us today about prayer. Letter A, how friends and families relate to each other when there's a need. Jesus said, if you can picture how families and how friends, maybe I should say it this way, if you can picture how healthy families and how good friends respond to each other when there's a need, that can teach you something about prayer. We're going to learn how friends and families relate to each other when there's a need and let her be what that teaches us about the heart of God when we pray. Two things, how friends and families relate to each other when there's a need and what that teaches us about the heart of God when we pray. This parable begins with a question, a great question. Lord, teach us to pray. There is in this text, if we look at the words and then we look at the culture, there's both a prayer question and a prayer reality. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, you would think, would have, should have responded something like this. Aren't you a little old to ask that question? Jesus, teach us to pray. In the Jewish culture 2,000 years ago, Jesus probably should have said, aren't you a little old to be asking that question? Because as we kind of set up this text, these stories, these parables, here's what you need to know. All Jewish young men would have wanted to learn to pray. Probably all Jewish young men would have been taught already how to pray. One of my favorite parts of our Israel trips that we take as a church is every now and then we find ourselves in Jerusalem on Bar Mitzvah Day, where where young Jewish kids from all over the country will celebrate their 13th birthday by starting outside the city wall, and literally they throw a party. They have the, the old ram's horns, they have the tambourines and drums, and they will march with family and friends. I've seen as many as 100 people marching together all in their white robes, and they will celebrate a young man turning 13 years old by marching from outside the old city to inside the old city to the wailing wall where the young man for the first time in his life will publicly read the Torah, the Old Testament books between Genesis and Deuteronomy, and he will pray at the Western wall. In Jewish culture, you really couldn't become a man until you had publicly read from the scriptures and knew how to pray. So for Jesus' disciples to say, teach us to pray, as they were late teenagers, some of them in their 20s, Jesus would have said, aren't you a little old to ask that question? One of the most famous places of prayer in the world is this wall in Jerusalem, the Western Wall, where Jews still go to pray. But one of the first times I was praying at this wall, go to the next slide, guys, I was standing next to these guys. You have all these Orthodox Jews who are in their black hats, black coats, and and they are there and they are praying, some very fervently, some very loudly, some very passionately, some very dispassionately. They're, They're kind of saying words of prayer, but they're looking around, they're looking up, they're talking to people next to them, and they've all got these little books. So I asked our, our guide, what are they holding? Is, like, are they reading the Bible? He said, no, those are prayer books. And I said, what's a prayer book? And he said, in Judaism, we have a prayer for everything. Um, and they're all in those books. So he said, when you want to come pray, you just get one of those books and you just read the prayers. And I said, well, do they 
Like, are they talking to God? And he said, well, some, some are. You know, some you can tell are very fervently in a state of prayer, but others are just reading the book. Because in Judaism, there's a prayer for everything. You just memorize prayers, but I don't know whether they're talking to God or not. That is the picture, that is the culture we step into where the disciples who knew prayers, who had books of prayers, watched Jesus and thought, he's doing it different. And he said, Jesus, teach us to do what you do. We're young Jewish boys. We know some prayers. We know the blessings. We know what to say. We've done it. But you, you do it different. Teach us to pray. John, John the Baptist, he taught his disciples to pray. Jesus, you teach us to pray. So Jesus began to teach them, but here's what you need to see. He focused more on the nature of prayer than the words of prayer. Jesus said, I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm not going to teach you a prayer, even though he gave us what is known as the Lord's Prayer that we find in Matthew 6, Luke 11 that a lot of you have prayed maybe at some point in your life at a parochial school or before a big game or just something that maybe grandma or grandpa taught you. It's a great prayer. I love to pray through the Lord's prayer. But Jesus focused more on the nature of prayer than the words of prayer. And he did it by comparing two things that teach us about the nature of prayer. How friends and families relate to each other when there's a need and how a good dad can be trusted and what that teaches us about the heart of God when we pray. Four things these parables are going to teach us today. The parallels, the side-by-side of this is what this story teaches you about prayer. Let's look at four things we're going to learn today. Number one, Jesus says, here's what you need to know about the nature of prayer. You can rely on God like good friends rely on each other. You can rely on God like good friends rely on each other. And then he tells this story about a guy who has some friends show up and he doesn't have any bread for him at midnight. Now, here's what you need to know. 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, even today in the Middle East, Almost everyone in any walled city would leave their door open till almost midnight. And if a door was open, anyone was welcome to stay. If the Middle East is known for anything, they are known for their hospitality. Even today, you could go walking through the deserts of Judea, find a Bedouin camp. They'll have their tent door open. If it's open, you can stay. They'll feed you and they'll take care of you for three days before they say, okay, it's time to move on. Like you you would embarrass your community to not be hospitable in the Middle East. So they would keep their doors open and anyone who came could stay with them. That's how they did life, which makes the Christmas story Well, no one would take Mary and Joseph in, even more despicable that there was no room in this Middle Eastern town for this pregnant woman and her young husband who was getting ready to have have a baby. Middle Eastern hospitality, there was always room for a guest. Also in the Middle East, many people would begin traveling at dusk, and they would travel to midnight because it was simply too hot to travel during the day. So during the summer months, they would, as the sun was going down, they would set out on their travels, which is why there was so much robbery, so much crime, because a lot of times people were traveling at night, and they'd try to get into a walled city by midnight, and then they'd find someone to take them in. And you would, in that culture, bake enough bread in the morning for kind of your family and in case anyone showed up. But usually by the time midnight was over, if your kids and friends and village had kind of picked through it, there wasn't much left. And on this night, as the story goes, the parable goes, Someone showed up just as a family was getting ready to go to bed and needed a place to stay. And the guy looked around his house and asked his wife, hey, there's some people here. What can we serve him? They would serve a full meal. And she said, like, we've got nothing. We, We ate it all. And he knew he would shame his family. He'd shame his family name. He set a poor example for his kids. He'd shame his community, most of them who were asleep. So he went over to his friend and knocked on the door and said, hey, I I need some help. Now, 2,000 years ago in a one-bedroom house, when you finally went inside, 
You would have a house that literally had a living room in the middle. The living room was also the sleeping quarters, a kitchen behind it, and in cities, a little actually stall inside too where you put your, your chicken and your goats and maybe even a, a small cow or two if, if, if you had those. You'd put those in the corner of your house, and at midnight, everyone would go inside and shut the door, and they would sleep. So to get up and go to the kitchen in the middle of the night would wake up the wife, would wake up the kids, would wake up the chickens, would wake up the goats, would wake up the cow. It would wake up the whole household. So when the guy says, hey, I need some bread, like, sorry, I can't help you. Everyone is asleep. And Jesus said, even though the guy won't give him the bread because he's a friend, if he just keeps pounding on the door, he'll wake up his entire family and throw the night away to help his friend who needs help. Jesus said, that's how God is in prayer. You need to realize you can rely on God like good friends rely on each other. What do we learn about why to pray? Look at this. When the demands of life are more than the abilities of life, we have to ask for help. You say, who do you ask? God. Jesus is trying to teach us when everyday life leaves you short of what you need, you need to ask God for help. And you need to ask God for help like you would ask a friend for help. And you need to anticipate and expect that he cares about you. He's listening to you. He'll take your phone call. He'll answer your text message. He'll hit reply on the email. He'll get back to you. You can rely on God like good friends rely on each other. I love how Solomon prayed in 1 Kings 3, verses 7 through 9. I pray this prayer every Saturday as I pray for people in my life that I have spiritual responsibility over. Solomon, when he became king at a pretty young age after following his hero dad who killed Goliath and led the military, and now he's this kid who's been trained in private schools and writes poetry and plays music, but has probably never picked up a bow and arrow in his life. Now he's in charge of the whole country. So he prays in 1 Kings 3, verses 7 through 9. Now, Lord my God, you've made your servant king. In place of my father, David, but I'm only a little child. I don't, I don't know how to do this. Your servants here among the people you've chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give me a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of your Solomon said, I do not know how to do this. Would you please help me? Jesus is teaching us. We can rely on God like good friends rely on each other. And when life leaves us short, that is when you pray. Number two, We also learn persistence in prayer proves desperation, and desperation results in movement. Persistence in prayer proves desperation. I need some bread. Everyone's sleeping. It doesn't matter. I need some bread. Like, he's just going to keep knocking and asking louder. Like, you don't understand. I have to have some bread. So the guy says, okay, wakes up his whole house. Desperation results in movement. And Jesus says, I want you to learn to pray like persistent, desperate people. I think my favorite prayer in all of scripture is King Jehoshaphat's one sentence prayer in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 12. It's at the end of this big long prayer that he prays, but here's what he says before he says, amen. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. You ever had to pray a prayer like that? God, I have no idea what I'm going to do here. So I'm looking to you. Amen. This is one of my favorite prayers in all of scripture. Persistence in prayer proves desperation, and desperation results in movement. Let me ask you a question that's challenged my heart many, many times. If God had answered every prayer you've prayed on your knees for the last 40 days consecutively, what would be different about your life or our world? If God had answered every prayer that you've prayed every day for the last 40 days on your knees, persistently, desperately, what would be different about your life or our world? Now, that's not a magic formula, to get things from God. But what we learn in the seasons of scripture and what Jesus is saying here is that 
If you're desperate, if you're persistent, if you're willing to go that far in prayer, God will understand you need some movement. Several months ago, we did a a series that had kind of a little cutout on prayer. And I challenged our people, if you're really struggling with something, I want you to do two things. Pray for 40 days about it and look up verses in your Bible about that particular area and every day meditate on those verses and pray about that thing. Just do it for 40 days and see what happens. And one of our online kind of church attenders, one of you who's watching live today, um, wrote in, who watches on Facebook every week, but is often not here. And they sent us a message on Facebook, and here's what it was. Hello, I visited Journey a few times. I love your worship services, your pastor. I think it's helped me to grow in my faith in ways that I felt I needed to share. Although Christian probably doesn't know me, it's I don't think we ever talked during the message on October 7th, 2018. He made a comment and included it in the notes to begin to pray for and trust in a specific area every day for 40 days and research Bible verses about it and then post them in your life every day. The area I was led to work on in my life was my relationship with my boss. We never really got along. I began to pray every day for 40 days and post verses about relationships and anger in my truck that I could see on the way to work. I read them each day before work and prayed that God would just let us get along. It was about day 35 or so that it was announced that my boss was being transferred to a different section in the company. (laughs) And my new supervisor is a great blessing. It was such a relief to me to have God take care of that situation in my life. Not only is my work life much better now, but I'm more happy afterward too. Sorry for the long message, but I had to share that your message led me to make changes, which in turn led God to make even bigger changes in my life. God knew I needed to hear that message, and I thank you guys so much for delivering. I prayed my heart would change, and God, instead of changing my heart, changed my boss. He did even one better. When's the last time you've prayed for something every day consecutively for 40 days? And showed God my persistent My persistence proves I'm desperate. My desperation needs your movement. God, your move. God, your move. I need bread. I didn't get it today, so I'm just going to knock louder and harder. God, I need you to move. Persistence proves desperation. Desperation results in movement. Number three, Jesus is teaching us in the second half of this parable. We can rely on God like kids rely on a good dad. He goes from a friend now to a family, and he says, you need to know in this teaching on prayer. You can rely on God like kids rely on a good dad. Jesus said, if imperfect dads take care of their kids, how much more will a perfect heavenly father take care of his spiritual children? And then number four, Jesus says, as he takes care of you, remember God's responses to our request are always good. God's responses to our request are always good. We have to look a little deeper to see some hidden truth here, but it's really, really good. Jesus said, what What kid, if they asked their dad for a fish, would get a snake? Or if they asked their dad for an egg, would get a scorpion? Now, you and I in in our culture think, man, it would be a terrible dad if if a son asked their dad for a fish and he gave him a snake. We're thinking a live snake that could bite or harm a child. We're thinking a live scorpion that could bite or harm a child or or sting um, or harm a child. It's not what Jesus is referring to. He's He's not talking about a live fish or a live snake. He's not talking about, you know, an an uncooked egg or a live scorpion. These are, were and are food items in the Middle East. You can go places in the Middle East and you can get rattlesnake in your pasta. Um, You can go places in the Middle East where maybe you have tried in some foreign country a chocolate-covered scorpion. If you go to places in Africa and India, you can eat all kinds of different things. But here's the problem. In Israel, 2,000 years ago, 
A fish was a kosher food, a clean animal. A snake, eating a snake, was forbidden. It would make you unclean. It would separate you from God. An egg was a kosher food. It would allow you to stay connected to God. A scorpion, if you ate it, was an unclean food. It would make you unclean. It would separate you from God. What Jesus was saying is, what dad would ever do anything for their children that would separate them from God? What dad would ever give their kids anything that that could disconnect them, that could separate them from God? That's what Jesus is trying to say. And he's telling us that when we pray, God doesn't meet our physical needs at the expense of our spiritual needs, which is sometimes why we pray for our physical needs. And God says, no, because he knows our spiritual needs are greater. That's why when we pray for our physical needs and God says, wait, he knows what he's doing spiritually and this is more important than what we physically need at the moment. God doesn't give us a snake. He doesn't give us unclean food when we need clean food. He'll never give us anything that will disconnect us from God. Great parable, great pictures, great kind of understanding of the relationship of prayer. Parable review. What do we learn? Four things real quick. Jesus says, when you pray, remember these things about the nature of prayer. Number one, you can rely on God like good friends rely on each other. Number two, persistence in prayer proves desperation. Desperation results in movement. Number three, we can rely on God like kids rely on a good dad. Number four, God's responses to our requests are always good for us spiritually. They'll never separate us or disconnect us from God. Good truth, we've said that every week. Hey, those are good stories. Those make sense. Uh, Those stories about friends and families actually help me understand a little bit more about God. Question is, what do we do with that? Good lessons How should they impact how we live? Question number two, what's the point of the parable? Question one, what's the parable? It's about friends and family and what they teach us about prayer. Okay, point number two, what do we do with that? Three things that I want to show you. Point number one, Jesus wanted his disciples to approach prayer relationally. What are we supposed to learn from this? Jesus wanted his disciples to approach prayer relationally. He didn't teach them just what to pray He taught them how to pray, and both of the parables are stories about relationships. Both parables address the relationship of prayer more than the reason for prayer. As a matter of fact, neither story has to do with prayer. They have to do with relationships. And what we're going to learn from Jesus today is the most powerful outcome of a prayer life is a deeper relationship with God, not just an inventory of things, not just an inventory of answered prayer. I don't pray so I can have a list of things God has given me. I pray because I want to have a deeper relationship with God. You know the greatest outcome of the friend asking his neighbor for bread was not that the traveler that night had a meal. The greatest outcome is those two people became closer. And he knew this guy has my back. Even in difficult situations, the the greatest outcome of the friend going to his friend at midnight was this lesson. I can count on this friend. Not that the traveler ate one meal, but the fact that he knew he could count on that friend. The greatest outcome is not that the kids got a fish or an egg. The greatest outcome is that the kids knew I can trust my dad. And if I ask my dad for things, he'll take care of me. The greatest outcome was not that I ate one meal and eight hours later, I'm hungry. The greatest outcome is I can trust my dad. My dad will take care of me. Jesus wanted his disciples to approach prayer relationally to learn that they could trust God, that they could believe in God. Point number two, Jesus wanted his disciples to pray persistently and consistently. Clearly, he wanted his disciples to pray persistently and consistently consistently because this is one of the few parables that has a sermon in the middle of stories. One story about friends, one story about family, right in between that, a sermon on prayer. 
Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. Look at this two-verse sermon. Jesus said between these stories, So I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. If you have your pen, by the way, circle, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, circle the word seek, and you will find knock, circle the word knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives to the one who seeks, they find, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, here's the coolest thing about what Jesus said. Jesus didn't speak it in English. He spoke it in a language called Koine Greek that the New Testament is written in. And in the Koine Greek, all of the verb tenses are attached to the language that Jesus would have spoken. And these words, ask, seek, and knock, were verbs in the present imperative tense. You say, what does that mean? It means here's how it should sound if it was translated correctly into our Bibles in English. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Jesus said, here's what prayer is. You just keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking persistently until the answer comes. So I say to you, ask and keep asking. Eventually it'll be given to you the spiritual things you need. Seek and keep seeking. Eventually you're going to find what you need to find from God. Knock and keep knocking because eventually God's going to open the door for you that you need to have open. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Jesus wanted his disciples to approach prayer relationally. He wanted his disciples to learn to pray persistently and consistently. And then point number three, maybe my favorite point of the whole message, Jesus wanted his disciples to ask a big God for big things. Jesus wanted his disciples to be okay asking a big God for big things. You say, where'd you see that, Christian, in verse 13? In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, Jesus wraps these parables with this little sermon in between them with this verse. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, and you don't align these three words, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask him? He wasn't talking about a loaf of bread at midnight. He wasn't talking about a fish. He wasn't talking about an egg. He said, when you pray, man, ask big because God may give you the Holy Spirit if you will ask him. He said, Christian, what's the Holy Spirit? I did a six-week series on it last year. The Holy Spirit is nothing less than the fulfillment of God coming to visit his people, the first fruits of God planting himself in the hearts and lives of people. The Holy Spirit was the fire of God's kingdom on earth. We're reading the book of Luke. Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, Luke and Acts. Four people wrote books about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and John all met Jesus before they met his church. Luke was the other way around. Luke experienced the church before he experienced the Savior. He was a part of the church before he started doing research on Jesus to write his book about Jesus. So Luke probably wrote most of Acts before he wrote Luke, but then he went back to research Jesus. So we see Luke mention the Holy Spirit more in his gospel than all the other gospel writers. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was the power and the fuel and the movement of the church. So everything everything that Luke saw Jesus do, everything that Luke saw powerful spiritually, he saw through the lens of the Holy Spirit moving. It was the power of God in the church. It was the movement of God in the world. It was the movement of God in the Christian, in the believer's life. And what Luke is saying in Luke 11, 13 is this. If we learn to pray, God will move in us and through us for the sake of his kingdom. 
if we learn to pray, if we connect with God, if we are one relationally with the God of heaven, we get the Holy Spirit. And when we get the Holy Spirit, the world gets more of Jesus. If we learn to pray, God will move in us and through us for the sake of his kingdom. He always answers our prayers for our spiritual good. He always answers our prayers for his spiritual mission. So journey, let's learn to pray. Let's learn to pray because I don't know about you, but I want God to show up in my life, don't you? So let's learn to pray. Let's learn to pray because I want God to show up in our community, don't you? We need God to show up in our community. Let's learn to pray because I don't know about you, we need God to kind of settle into the United States in the next election year, don't you think? Like we need God to show up in our country. So how do we pray? Great question. Today's parables teach us four things. My attitude towards prayer should be these four things. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, but number four, keep expecting. My attitude in prayer should be these four things. I'm going to keep asking, I'm going to keep seeking, I'm going to keep knocking. However, because God is like a friend I can rely on, because God is like a good dad, I'm going to keep expecting as well. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep expecting. How do I pray? Ask, seek, knock, expect. How do I pray? Same with me. Ask, seek, knock, expect. One more time in the video service. Say it with me. How do you pray? Ask, seek, knock, expect. If all you remember as you're driving down the road this week is those four words, you've got it. You've got Jesus teaching on prayer. Jesus, how do we pray? Ask, seek, knock, expect. Well, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? Would a good friend that you can rely on not get back to you? That's how God hears prayer. But what if God's not listening? If you were raised by a good dad, not all of you were, but some of you were, would your dad do anything that left you wanting or disconnected from God if you had a good dad? Train your mind to think about God properly. Train your life to ask and seek and knock and expect God to do things that will draw you closer to him and make his kingdom greater in this world. Learn to do that over the next six weeks, and then in six weeks, let's do it together. 21 days of prayer begins Monday, August 19th. Every morning we'll be here through Sunday, September 8th. And as a church, we'll pray that God will help us as we head into the deepest season of discipleship we've ever had at our church, as we head into the biggest season of dreaming that we've ever had at our church. We're gonna ask, we're gonna seek, we're gonna knock, and we're gonna expect God to move. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed here and in our video teaching service, wherever you might be watching online, God, thank you for teaching us to understand how to approach you in prayer, like a good friend, like a trusted father. Lord, you're holy. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that you'd give us today our daily bread. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins as we forgive each other when we get it wrong. We pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but you would deliver us from evil because, God, we believe yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So help us learn to pray and help us to learn to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, and to keep expecting to grow deeper in our belief and our trust in you. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. amen.